It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ray Allen says he's still open to going to KG's number retirement, and we get back into the 70s discussion. The Celtics win another title on today's Wednesday Locked On Celtics podcast. Millie, let's go! Jay's back with the vengeance back. All the real Celtics fans in attendance. This the truth like 34. This like walking in the garden when you hear the roars. The crowd goes crazy. Most in-depth coverage on the daily. Mainly podcast royalty, the content kings. When you talking about the franchise with 17 rings. Focus like Danny at the deadline. Global with it got a local feel like the red line, the blue line, the green line. Play it in between time. I'ma throw my C's jersey on in the meantime and press play. When the F's done, I can't wait until the next day. Trying to stay in tune with the C's, that's the best way. Melly. John Corral is here from Mass Live saying thank you once again for making this podcast part of your daily routine. Very happy that you continue to integrate the Lockdown Celtics podcast into your new life, whatever it is that you're doing, whether you're still going to work or working from home, whatever it is, very much appreciate that you're doing that. Today, back into the 1970s, we left off with the Celtics Kind of the era is over, the dynasty is over, and now in today's show, back to the final, back to the playoffs, and we'll get to the first championship under coach Tommy Heinsohn in this show. We'll go all the way up until the 1975-76 season where they had that epic game six. Let me start with uh, game five, I'm sorry. Let me start with Ray Allen speaking on the Cedric Maxwell podcast. I know podcast, talking about a podcast is very meta, but I just wanted to kind of touch on that before we got into the other stuff because it's it's him speaking again and this does kind of rile people up and it gets people going. And, it, you know, Ray kind of went through a lot of the same things that he's been saying. I guess the biggest key thing that he said in this one is that he's he's still kind of open apparently to going to the Kevin Garnett number retirement. I don't know how good that'll look. I don't know how that would go. Uh, assuming that next season, whenever that happens, is still full of fans and we have a full TD Garden for KG's number retirement. Uh, I don't know that between now and whenever that is that Boston Celtics fans are willing to kind of forget. I think if Ray Allen goes and and he shows up on the floor that he'll get booed and I get I, I put it out there. I wrote I wrote this up. I, I listened to that podcast and I wrote it up on masslive.com. So you can go to masslive.com/celtics and read that. Um I left out a lot of my opinion on the matter, but um I feel like if he goes to uh, that ceremony and gets introduced as one of the members of the 2018, uh, he would get booed as of right now. What would have to happen? He would have to have a conversation with KG. KG would have to kind of agree like, all right, it's squashed. And then KG would have to come out and probably do a series of interviews where he says, 
This is squashed. Beef squashed over. Uh, I'm getting these visions of the It's Always Sunny, the gang squashes their beefs episode. Uh, If you've watched that, you know what I'm talking about. But it would have to kind of be a KG coming out and saying to everybody, like, look, it's done, it's over. And if KG can accept Ray and say, bygones are bygones, we're done with this madness, uh, then maybe more fans can accept that scenario and say, all right, we're done with it, it's over, it's been eight years, almost nine years, whatever it is that it happened, and it's it's fine. The Celtics are fine. Um, let, let's be honest. Let's be honest here. They, the Celtics, in 2012, that 12-13 team, they weren't going to beat the Miami Heat. They just weren't. Ray or no Ray. Ray being on that team, okay, yeah, he hit a, a shot that, that won Miami uh, a championship. And who knows how it goes without Ray Allen. But okay, so he helped LeBron win a championship. That's going to piss a lot of people off. But I personally am of the opinion that he made a free agent decision. And you have to remember that at that point, he and Rondo just weren't getting along. And the Celtics weren't moving on from Rondo. He and Rondo were just, it was, that relationship was done. Ray and Rondo were like super tight at the beginning. Rondo in his early years kind of mimicked Ray in his intense preparation for games. And then they fell apart. Um, And then the Celtics were looking to move Ray. And he was traded. He Doc told him he was traded and then that fell apart. And so... A lot of things happened from the player perspective that I felt like I don't blame the guy for saying, you know what, I'm kind of done here. I'm not feeling it here anymore. So I don't blame him for leaving. So now the next step is, I know you're listening and saying, well, it's not that I blame him for leaving. It's that I blame him for going to join LeBron and the Miami Heat. The, The rivals at the time, it's very Kevin Durant going to Golden State. Okay, fine. And I'm not going to tell you to change. I'm not telling you this to change your mind. That's fine. Fans react to these things, how fans react to these things. And at that point, I was kind of, I was mostly a fan too. But I always come at things from a player perspective. And, you know, hey, you're a free agent. Miami comes along, says, hey, we're going to pay you this money. If that's the deal that he wants to take as a free agent, his family's cool with it. He's cool with it. You know, players who are free agents earn the right to go to whatever team they want to go to. So that's where I stand. It's the Celtics don't win in 2008 without Ray Allen. The Celtics do not get back to where they are without Ray Allen. I know, obviously, Kevin Garnett is the biggest reason why, and there's a reason his number is going to be retired, and there's a reason why Ray Allen's number is not, and I'm I think that's the right decision as well. And it is what it is. Like we're at we're at the right point with Kevin Garnett was the guy that turned around the culture. Paul Pierce was kind of like the reclamate not the reclamation project. He 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 had that that turnaround in his career and and he ascended to like a Boston legend. 
That was the right thing. Ray Allen made his contribution and then he left. That was a totally fine decision for me. I'm totally fine with the Celtics saying, you know what? You left uh, and that's a factor in us not retiring your number. And, you know, good for you. Congratulations on your second ring. That's all great. But, you know, it is what it is. I think that's all appropriate. From there, if you want to boo, you boo. If you hate Ray Allen, you hate Ray Allen. I'm certainly not going to try to change your mind, but this is my opinion. So Ray said what he said. We'll see what happens. Uh, If he reaches out to KG, if somebody else reaches out to KG and they mend the fences, I think that would be great because it would be really fun to remember 2008 for what it was and not 2008 with the tinge of Ray Allen left a few years down the road. I think it'd just be fun. Celtics won a title. That was a huge win for the Celtics. It was a a big turnaround for the franchise. And as we've said on this podcast before, when Chuck McKinney was on last week, it it made, it was the return of Celtics pride. It it, it really kind of rekindled, rekindled a lot of the stuff that the Celtics were known for. And it, it carries on today in the franchise. And Ray Allen was a big part of that. That's undeniable. Hate him or not, that's undeniable. So we'll see where it goes from here. In the meantime, the Celtics of the 1970s returned to Celtics pride as well. In our continuation, part two of the discussion of the 1970s, Tommy Heinsohn and his Boston Celtics go on a bit of a run having amazing regular seasons, a 56-win season, a 68-win season, They have a 60-win season. In this next portion of the podcast, we talk about all of that, and we bring you into a title and one of the greatest NBA Finals ever played. And then we'll stop right before the 1976 season where they played maybe the greatest Finals game ever played. So that's all coming up on the Lockdown Celtics Podcast. NFL teams making bold final moves before the start of the season. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. The Tennessee Titans have announced a one-year deal with linebacker Jadavion Clowney, reportedly worth $15 million. Tyler Rowland of Locked On Titans tells you if it's going to be enough to get Tennessee back to the AFC title game. In other moves around the league, the Miami Dolphins named Ryan Fitzpatrick starting quarterback, which means Tua will be back up for the time being. And the Detroit Lions have agreed to a one-year deal with running back Adrian Peterson. Peterson was released by the Washington football team last Friday. For more NFL news and analysis, subscribe to the new Peacock and Williamson NFL show and listen to a brand new lineup on Locked On NFL. They'll have division previews every day this week. Local experts on the biggest stories, it's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're up to date on your favorite team, but what about the competition? John Hollinger and Nate Duncan are evaluating every bubble contender on Hollinger and Duncan. Rejecting the screen goes behind the scenes with in-depth interviews and the Locked On NBA podcast is recapping games daily. Let the Locked On NBA network of podcasts take care of your NBA bubble scouting reports. Hollinger and Duncan, rejecting the screen, 
the Locked On NBA Podcast. Subscribe to the best trio of NBA podcasts on the planet, wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Boston Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. 1972 is actually... Jerry West finally won a ring, by the way. I have to throw that in there because I've been ragging on Jerry West for being over <laughs> in the finals. He finally won a championship. In 1972, the yeah. Lakers finally break through. They uh, beat the Knicks. Uh, that is when Kareem... Uh, Kareem's the MVP that year. Uh, the The Celtics make the playoffs again. Now, in the yep. 1972 season, the Celtics whip off 56 wins. They are the third best team in the league. Now, the Lakers won 69 games, which at that point was a record. Uh, the Bucks with uh, Kareem were 63 and 19. And then the Celtics led the Atlantic Division 56 and 26. However, they end up losing to those Knicks and not just losing, they lose that series 4-1. So that was a, a bit of a disappointment for the Boston Celtics. I mean, it's great that they got back to the playoffs, but the, this, this does not end well. The losing in the conference finals, that's nice, but for a team that just won 11 of 13 titles not that long ago, losing when you should be the Eastern Conference representative uh, is in, in losing in five games in the conference finals. That's not great, Mike. No, but, you know, in context and keeping perspective, it was a reasonable year for the Celtics. Um, if they had gotten by the Knicks, that would have been some kind of an upset. Uh, the Knicks were a veteran team. They had improved a lot. Um, they were only two years removed from winning their first title. Um, they were a tough out and they did, they always played well against the Celtics that era. Um, the Celtics were still young, but they were improving. Uh, and they had a leader in Havlicek that year. He made first team all NBA for, I don't know how many times, uh, he had made it up till then, but he also made all defense first team. They had established an all defensive team. Now, over his career, he made all defense, Havlicek did, made all defense eight times, and he was all NBA 11 times. But um, at that point, 1972, uh, he was doing what he had to do to lead that team and get them back into where they needed to be. And 1972-73 was when they really came around. So that 72-73 season, the Celtics uh, end up going 68-14. and 14. This is the best regular season in Celtics history. The 86 Celtics challenged that. They, um, they won 67 games. But this, this Celtics team, 68-14. and 14, uh, But again, they, they lose in the conference finals. Now, at this point, uh, the Celtics have the best defense in the league. They have a top 10 offense. 
They are uh, led by Havlicek. Cowens is averaging over 20. He's got 20 and 16. JoJo White is up close to 20 points a game. You got Paul Silas, who is is giving the Celtics 13 points and 13 rebounds a game. Uh, Silas coming in is is a a big deal for the Boston Celtics. It's another uh, it's another move that the that the Celtics are um, that Red Arback uh, pulls off. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, and it's a good example of, uh, Red being one step ahead of the competition. Um, Silas was, uh, not much of a scorer, but he was a solid defender and one of the top rebounders in the league. And he was a, a for his career, he averaged a double double, uh, 12 points, 12 rebounds. Uh, but for the Celtics at that time, that, gave them somebody to match up with Dave DeBusher on the Knicks. That was a, a key acquisition for them. And the way they got Silas uh, was that in 1970 draft, Red had used the 106th pick when they had 10 rounds. He used that to pick Charlie Scott from North Carolina, who was, I believe, an All-American. Now, why did he go 106th? Because he was already committed to signing a contract with one of the teams in the ABA. So if you were an NBA team, you weren't going to use a good draft pick on Charlie Scott. But actually, most teams didn't even bother to look at him. Red used this throwaway pick just so he would have the rights to Charlie Scott. Well, after a couple of years in the ABA, Scott wanted to come to the NBA. And Phoenix was going to sign him. Phoenix had Paul Silas. Well, Red said, you can't sign Charlie Scott because he's our draft pick. You have to compensate us. And in order to do that, you could give us Paul Silas. Phoenix agreed to that. So the Celtics had Silas to pair up with Cowens, and they together were dominant on the backboards, rebounding. Yeah, I mean that- – you had you had both of them averaging what I say thirteen and thirteen for um, for Silas and Cowens was what at fifteen. Yeah, I don't know the I don't have that right at my fingertips what Cowens did, but he was the MVP that year. Dave Cowens, sixteen. It was sixteen rebounds, twenty point five points, and sixteen rebounds. So they together twenty nine point two rebounds per game. And Cowens was the MVP that year, and that was it. back then the players voted for MVP. Mm. Cowens was second team All NBA. We, we talked about that Carrying last on week, a where, where Bill Russell would finish second team All NBA but still win the MVP, which was bizarre. But um, Cowens was a deserving choice for the MVP award that year. I mean, the Celtics had the best record in the league easily. And they just had some bad luck in the playoffs. So yeah, that that year they get bounced again in the playoffs. Um, you know, bad luck is bad luck. Uh, but this this um, this is this is a little a little tough to swallow because the Celtics lose um, again to the Knicks in seven games. 
and the Knicks go on to beat the Lakers for the NBA championship. So they lose to the eventual champion. But, um, you know, at that point, you can see why you hated the Knicks more than the Lakers. Well, <laughs> part of that was because I lived in New York then, where I grew up. And so, naturally, if you were a Celtics fan, you had a little bit of conflict with Knicks fans. And Knicks fans were everybody else who I knew, just about. Um, and it was pretty intense. I used to go to Madison Square Garden when the Celtics would come in and sit in the cheap seats. And, you know, so you'd have some uh, conversations with the Knicks fans <laughs> <laughs> while the games were going on. Nobody ever uh, ended up in the hospital or anything, but uh, it was quite an atmosphere to watch a game in. Um, um, sure. <laughs> but anyway, the, the bad luck that the Celtics had when they played in the playoffs was um, that Havlicek got hurt. Havlicek um, hurt his shoulder, running into a pick, and he had to. Uh, he was limited after that. You know, um, he um, had to miss game four against the Knicks. So the the, um, the the way the series played out was the, the Knicks. I mean, the Celtics won the first game and then lost the next three. The fourth game being in New York, uh, Celtics really needed that, and they in order to tie up the series, and they were without Havlicek. Um, so we can but, thank Dave DeBusher for that. Yeah. Um, but they were up 16 points with nine minutes left. And then uh, there was uh, some what you would call highly suspect officiating by <laughs> Jack Madden and Jake O'Donnell, who um, those names became Jake O'Donnell. Well known in Boston because man, that guy, those guys are screwing us over again. Jake O'Donnell. I must have heard Johnny Most mention Jake O'Donnell a million times. Yeah, that was um, John. He wasn't a favorite of Johnny <laughs> <laughs> by any means. Johnny, Johnny would give it to him. But you know, it's this is people might say, okay, you're Mike. You're a biased fan. Of course, you're going to say that Celtics got hosed, but that was so egregious. The the officiating over that last quarter. Um, I don't have like they they don't have detailed box scores from back then where you can say, well, they shot X number of free throws in the fourth quarter, but there was something like seven straight calls that went against the Celtics, and after the game, oh, Cowens, Cheney, and White all fouled out of that game, and it went double overtime. And after the game, everybody was talking about the officiating. Even Bob Ryan of the Globe, who would not go out of his way to blame the refs, he was more practical than that. Even he was outraged. I do remember he wrote a column about it where he was ready to throw in the towel and just be done with the NBA he said basically that, you know, you had to wonder wh what was really at work here with the, the way that these calls were being made. So 
The Celtics lost. They were down three to one. Havlicek came back to the series and tried to play, but he was basically playing with one arm. Even though he couldn't really do much with his right hand, um, he did play okay, and the Celtics won game five at home. They won game six in New York. That was the time when the Knicks could have put the kill shot, and they weren't able to do it. But then when they came back for the seventh game in Boston, the Knicks finally took advantage of Havlicek being one-armed. And he uh, only made one out of six shots that day, scored four points. The Celtics couldn't make a shot. They... um they had, I think they had, I think they lost 94 78. So it was a rough day. And, uh, again, they fell short. And that, that, that year they really should have won. I mean, Tommy was coach of the year. They opened the season with a 10 game winning streak. They finished the season with 24 2 run, 20, won 24 out of the last 26. They, they really should have, uh, if all things were equal, they really should have come out of that season with another banner. Well, unfortunately, they did not. Uh, but they did the following year. Follow us on our social channels at LO Celtics on Twitter and at Lockdown Celtics on Instagram. Tommy Heinsohn wins his first NBA title in 1973-74. Uh, the Boston Celtics go 56 and 26. They actually get over the hump. Um, the uh, they beat the Milwaukee Bucks in seven games. And this 1974 finals is actually considered one of the best NBA finals of all time. Oh, there's no doubt about that. That series was as intense and, and, uh, crazy as anyone that I've ever seen. They, uh, I'm sorry. They, uh, they went seven games. Um, there was, Two games that went to overtime. Uh, one of them was a double overtime. Yep. Uh, f- five of the games were won by the visiting team. Nobody won two games in a row. It was back and forth for two weeks. Uh, and the Celtics in game six, that was in Boston because, uh, the Bucks had home court advantage. Game six, the Celtics. It, it was double overtime, and the Celtics were up one with eight seconds left. Eight seconds away from the title, and one stop is all they needed, but the Bucks had the guy that would end up being the all-time leading scorer in the NBA, Kareem. He hit this ridiculous hook shot. You know, his hook shot was unstoppable and the purest shot you could have. And he hit, but he hit this from the baseline. It was at least 15, 16 feet out, not like an easy one from the middle of the paint. Uh, he had a running, rolling hook shot 
with a couple of seconds left on a do or die where they had to have it or the season was over. And I mean, it was just such an incredible shot. But um, in the end, it worked out because the Celtics won game seven on the road. They um, they really dominated that game seven. They, they were not threatened. They held the Bucks off the entire game. Um, part of it was that the Bucks players were a little tired that Friday night. Uh, that game six was on a Friday night. Kareem and Oscar played all 58 minutes. Kareem was young. Oscar was not. He probably overdid it. Um, Havlicek played all 58 minutes, but as we talked about, he, he could do that and, and, and still retain his, um, energy. Um, so, cause the game on, Game seven was on a Sunday afternoon, so it was only like a day and a half later. And the Celtics changed up their uh, strategy on Kareem. Tommy um, decided to have them double-team him. And so Cowens and Silas fronted and played behind, you know, one each double-team Kareem. And for 18 minutes, he didn't score. And the Bucks never recovered from that. That's, I mean, that 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 change is is really what won the 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 series for them. The Bucks went into that a little shorthanded because their point guard Lucius Allen uh, was was going to miss the entire series. So that put Oscar Robertson, who was thirty five at that point, uh, into the front line, and like you said, have forced to play that much uh that that just didn't end up going very well for them uh john halicek meanwhile wins finals mvp he averaged 26 and a half points almost eight rebounds almost five assists in that um in that finals uh cowens in that game seven puts up 28 and 14 and and all of the all of the defensive kind of uh adjustments that the celtics made uh, allowed not only the Celtics to slow down Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, but with an extra person or two on Kareem, Cowens gets a, a little bit more uh, help and a little more energy to go off on the defensive end. He shot eight of thirteen in the first half. Uh, just a big, just a, a big number for Cowens, uh, and and that that adjustment from Heinsohn really uh, paid off on both ends. Yeah, yeah. And that series, um, that uh, that game six that went double overtime, I bet that almost everybody has seen the play that is was like the signature play of that game until Kareem hit his shot. And it's the one where Dave Cowens was switched off onto the big O. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Robertson was dribbling, and Cowens poked the ball away and then went running after it and stumbling and falling, and he stove and skidded yep. trying to grab the ball, and the shot clock ran out, and it was a violation of Celtics got possession. That play was Dave Cowens in a nutshell because he was like a maniac out there on defense sometimes, the, you know, uh, as, as intense and competitive 
as anybody who's ever been in the league. That, um, yeah, that that's like the the signature play. That's that's on every Cowan's highlight. Just right. the, the dive, the slide. Um, but yeah, Cowan's Cowan's is a is a maniac here. But Cowan's, we'll 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 get to Cowan's in a little bit. As far as he's he's great, he's intense, but at the same time, he has like these ups and downs. And his his downs, like he he ends up needing breaks and taking a hiatus, and it really it's Cowan's career in Boston is really interesting. Uh, but that that's coming up. In the meantime, yeah. we have to get to the nineteen seventy four seventy five season where the Celtics again win sixty games, uh, but the Washington Bullets also win sixty games and. They meet in the conference finals, and the Celtics lose to the Bullets uh, in six games in the conference finals. Yeah, that was a rough one. Um, the, uh, the Celtics, they had five players that year who played all 82 games. Uh, and Callens was not one of them. He missed the first 17 games with a broken foot. Uh, but they did have an outstanding season, 60 wins, as you mentioned. Um, into the playoffs, they played the Rockets, Houston, in the first round. Again, the alignment was different back then. They beat them easily, four games to one. Um, then they played the Bullets, and I distinctly remember that the first half, the Celtics were up 12 at halftime. No problem. They were doing whatever they wanted to do. That was the end of it. After that, the Bullets controlled the whole series, even though the Celtics um, did end up extending it to six. They fell behind in the series two games to nothing and then three games to one, and they just could never recover. Um, the Bullets were led by Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld, who were uh, two big men, both in the Hall of Fame. Elvin Hayes was a prolific scorer. But actually, the guy that I remember uh, hurting the Celtics the most was named Nick Weatherspoon. He is not a remarkable player by any means, um, not an all-leaguer, but he just, they couldn't stop him in that series. And uh, he ended up being a the main reason I think that the Celtics lost. Yeah. I mean, he averaged 13 and five, uh, over the course of that series. Um, which, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with guys like Elvin Hayes, um, and trying to keep Wes Unseld off the boards, uh, you're, uh, allowing a guy like that to come in and, and, and do what he did, uh, hurts. So the Celtics in so this is 1974-75. Um, it's a brief departure. The Celtics again 60 wins in this season. The next season they go off and win uh, a title. So up next, the Boston Celtics go back to the finals, the 1975-76 season. 
and they win their second title of the 70s. We're going to pick it up in the next podcast with the Celtics heading into a triple overtime game, which is just wild, uh, crazy officiating. Uh, an official gets attacked by a fan on the floor. Uh, it's just uh, insanity in the 1976 NBA Finals. A former Celtic figures heavily into that, and that's all coming up on tomorrow's podcast. So please subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Please do that and share the podcast. Tell all of your friends that they should be listening to this special edition. All of these historical deep dives, they should be listening to the Locked On Celtics podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Rejecting the screen has been retweeted by Kobe, Dame Lillard, and Vince Carter. So it's fair to say you should give it a shot. I'm Noah Kozlov. And I'm Adam Stanko. Rejecting the screen hits your feed every Tuesday and Thursday. On Tuesday, we talk hoops and a little bit of life. On Thursday, we go ISO with a guest. Stories from anyone and everyone who has touched the NBA with tales we promise you've never heard before. Find Rejecting the Screen right now wherever you get podcasts and hit that subscribe button.